Welcome to the CSRG Podcast. I'm Keanu. And I'm Chris. And today we're going to really just talk about nationals. Yeah. And we're back from a hiatus because Chris was uh, Chris was in Korea. Some well-deserved R&R after this year. I don't know if it was R&R for you yeah. with the amount of uh, damage you did to your body. <laughs> well, yeah. And honestly, it was just plane rides and whatnot. But it was, it was good just not be at work. So, um, But yeah, I watched all the videos that everyone was posting at nationals because uh, unfortunately the trip to korea overlapped with nats but keanu actually shot nationals so it's really going to be a kind of a debrief on what nationals was like what the experience any tips this Tricks. is chris this is really chris's job because he needs to guide me on what to say because <laughs> there, there was just a lot that went on at nationals and it, like a lot went into it yeah right because it's three days of shooting you got to travel you got to fly with guns um ship yeah. ammo um, logistically, it's a lot different than shooting, you know, a, a level three. That's even, you know, it's different from even ride. shooting in Florida because Florida I can drive too easily, or I can have friends haul my ammo. No one drives to Utah from Virginia. Yeah, because it's probably going to be what a 20, 20 hour drive or something. I think it's like thirty plus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I mean, let's. I guess from a standpoint of shooting a three day match, I mean, what was what was that really like? Um, it was it was different. It was I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I shot AM, PM, AM, and I remember saying for, for Area 5 that I wasn't the biggest fan of PM, but I think that's just because you and I were just ill-prepared for shooting the PM. <laughs> but for um, for PM, I actually felt okay. I made sure that I was just consuming a lot of caffeine, and I, I actually slept in a lot that night. So I slept in, and, or that day. So I, I, like, I was in bed until probably like 10 o'clock, which is the latest I've ever been in bed like since adulthood. Yeah, it's pretty late for you. Yeah, that, that's really yeah. late for me um, because, you know, normally I wake up at 5, five to 6.30, somewhere in that time span, depending on whether I'm working from home or I'm in the office. So 10 o'clock is super late, and I was still, like, kind of a little jet-lagged, so getting up, you know, at earlier times wasn't hard. Like, I woke up at 5 the next morning like it was freaking nothing. Yeah. But, huh. um, yeah, so it was it was fun. Like, I, I think the weather also made it a lot easier. Um on us than, than it would have been if it were somewhere else like frostproof or, um, or like anywhere here. I'm guessing low humidity. Like low was, humidity uh, was breezy the entire time, which which is a it's it's a give and take because, um, I was I had a shower cap on my gun after day one, just to keep all the crap out. Oh, just like the dust. Yeah, my stuff. gun managed uh, to shoot the entire match though without cleaning before, during, or after the match. Pretty crazy. So I'm pretty happy about that. But I made sure, like, I made a point to make sure all my mags were clean. Um, I was very meticulous with that, and I was very meticulous about keep, keeping my gun covered. Yeah. So I mean, but like shooting, shooting for three days, right? It's probably a different mindset than if you're shooting, you know, a one day major or you know, even two days, right? I mean, so from like a mental, I guess you know the mental state type of thing, you know, is there a different thought processes that needed to happen in order to make all three days work? Or was it mainly just a survival game by day three, just to make it through and, you know, try to shoot as clean as possible. You know, I, I've heard that. I've heard people say like our friends have talked about the last day is always the hardest day. I didn't think the last day was any harder than any other day, but I made a point that, you know, in majors, you shouldn't push anyway. You know, you should play it consistent. And a lot of people do struggle with that, especially in one-day format matches, which most majors are. Um, but 
I made a point that starting from day one, I was playing consistent. I wasn't doing anything stupid. I wasn't pushing myself. I wasn't going to try and stress myself mentally or physically any more than I needed to. So I was able to push through the match. I didn't feel bad at all on the third day. I felt pretty good. Um, and I was just, uh, you know, it was just normal, normal match prep. It was like preparing for a major match every single day after the match. Um, and then, you know hopping right back into it the next day so i was drinking a lot of fluid lots lots of gatorade lots of you know a lot of electrolytes in general um and you know my, my usual monster and monster rehab and crap like that and i found that monster rehab peach tea with the uh blue flavored gatorade g2 is actually phenomenal together. <laughs> like, like mixing it yeah oh, it looks geez. like freaking shrek juice well, yeah, and my I mean, girlfriend hates Monster, and she f- thought it was actually pretty good. I guess, yeah, it was like electrolytes, caffeine, all that stuff. That's, that's why, um, like, it was just more convenient, because I would drink one, I would drink a bottle of Gatorade in the evening, a bottle of Gatorade in the morning, um, with my breakfast, and it was just way easier just to mix the Monster and the Gatorade than to drink both <laughs> separately, because I'm a lazy jack. Kind of, kind of gross, but I mean, if it works, right? I, it I tastes guess good. The flavor doesn't sound like it'd be terrible either, I mean, especially because... The monster rehab is pretty, pretty strong. It's the a flavor, color, flavor profile. It's the color that's <laughs> that's disconcerting. It's green, but it tastes like peach mixed with blue. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's kind of interesting. The whole you know, major match every day type of thing. Um, but I, then I guess from like the actual shooting, I mean, the stages looked pretty tough. I mean, they looked very similar to um, what open open nationals looked like. They did. I think they they changed around a lot of the target present. Or the, I don't think they changed any of the actual target presentations relative to where they were in the hardcover, um, or behind the hardcover and like the walls and crap. But they did change the targets themselves, and they changed the shooting area. But I really don't think, in all honesty, I think it was a really good match. I think it tested a wide variety of skills, and I think it was very good at that. But I did not think it was a match where I look at this age and I say, "Oh, to hell with this," you know. I, I can't do this. There was nothing at that match I saw that I said, oh, I can't do. So it was nothing like uh, watching videos from Florida Open type of stuff, right? Um, I've never shot Florida Open, but just, just looking at the videos, I think this match is probably easier than Florida Open. That, but Florida Open also has a reputation to maintain for being a really difficult match. Yeah, like super technical, just very difficult. Yeah. Um, I didn't think this was the easiest match. I didn't think this was the hardest match. Um, but I think it was a sufficiently difficult match that tested a wide array of skills. Um, we had low ports. There were a lot of there were instances with partials, a lot of throttle control, um, you know, farther targets. You know, there was a lot. There were in zone one. There were a lot of twenty-five to thirty-yard targets, whether steel or um, paper. So I, I think I think they did a good job testing a wide array of skills. Yeah, and like, I think that really is what puts on a good match, right? It's if it's just extremely hard the entire time it's, it is extremely you know, hard and no one's and like everyone's throwing like a freaking you know two to three mics every stage is that's just dumb yeah and then it becomes a survival game it's not really you know who's performing well, like consistently and who's it still is know. a survival game kind of though because you have 21 stages and you were looking at the results um like we were keeping track of the results every day i was looking at them every single day after i shot um or after the um after both relays shot and you would see, and like if you do the what if, you can see how much of an impact a single stage has on your standings. Yeah. But the nice yeah. part is that, sure, you can you can give up a stage, but at least twenty one stages just by volume gives you a lot more room to recover. It does, but I mean, if it's you know twenty one stages of extremely hard shots, like thirty yard partials, 
right? Yeah, it's, it's just like, just get me through this match. Don't let me off myself exactly. through this match. And, and you can't, like, there are no stages where you can really push to gain advantage on your skill set if everything is just hard, right? And so, I, you know, I think that's that'll make definitely a good match for Nationals, especially, like you said, for 21 stages, you know, it, it becomes a, a numbers game at that point, right? And so it doesn't necessarily mean your day is over if you zero a stage, um, depending on kind of what your goals are. Um, but yeah, you know, and like like I think your if you have consistent performance relative to the stage winner on each stage, you will place considerably higher than your stage performance would say, mm-hmm. just because um, of the sheer volume of of the stages and like it's it's a show up consistency. And that's always going to win out of these kind of matches because, like, you know, you don't want to do anything stupid. Like, it's it's a match. It costs a lot in terms of um, in terms of errors and everything. So, you know, there's not a whole... There's room for error, but there's not as much room um, as people would think given the fact that it's 21 stages. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can still recover from, you know, from a couple mics on a stage, but it's still extremely, you know, costly because then that's just more ground you have to make up. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, specifically for that, from a mental perspective, right, if if you're not capable of moving past those mics for that stage, because it's also so many stages, it could really damage your performance throughout the rest of the Yeah, three if days. your mental game's not on um, at Nationals, you're, you're screwed. And, like, because, again, I, I think for most sports, right, it, yeah, there's a lot of room to recover when you make a mistake, but because it's three days of competition... And if you don't have the capacity to move on from that mistake, you could really just destroy your entire match. Um, yeah, especially especially in a game that can be as particular as USPSA. It's like, sure, we have some hosters and stuff, but I think I found at Nationals, there were a lot of stages where you had to be very, very careful with your footing and your body placement to make sure that you could shoot the targets that you wanted to shoot um, to execute your stage plan properly. So I, I found that they did a really, really good job making sure that not so much your stage plan was good, but but that your stage execution was impeccable. So would you say that stage like gaming stages wasn't as important in nationals as it would be at like level one? I don't think there's a whole lot to game. There were a lot of stage options. There was plenty to like, you know, each within my squad, each each person thought of their own method, and then like kind of we all came together and consolidated ideas um, on how to shoot the stage. So it left plenty of options, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that there was anything to game really. Uh-huh. So I guess I guess maybe gaming is the wrong word, but like overthinking. You know, how a lot of people will. There was overthink. a lot of room to overthink the stages. Uh-huh. Yeah, but there, but there execution would trump like especially for nationals. Execution probably trumps, you know, the the fine details. Oh yeah, it always does. Uh huh. It's like getting everything just right, getting your footing just right, and everything like that. I saw a lot of people overrun targets because they had one because they took one stride too many and that tanked their stage. That added like an extra one and a half seconds onto their stage time and it just it killed them in the placement. Oh dang. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh-huh. it was punishing to, to have an error in your footing. Um like I had one stage, my second stage of day one or a third my third third stage maybe. I had a uh I overstepped a position while backing out on a target to shoot um, from the prior array, and it cost me probably a second and a half, and it was a it was a ten to eleven second stage, and that brought me up to about twelve seconds, and that 
legit screwed me on that stage placement. Yeah, because I guess 11, 10, 11 seconds, that's a pretty high hit factor. I probably, what, Well, it was, only, so? it was only a 20-round stage, yeah. yeah but even so, even that, it's a pretty high hit factor. Yeah, um, and, like, not to say my, like, the stage, the shooting itself, I think I executed well, but everything else, like, the footing and everything was bad. Yeah. And, and I got sloppy at the end because I knew I had to make up time. Yeah, and then again, for, you know, a 10-second stage, you know, an extra second and a half, that's... It's a lot. That's a lot, It's yeah. very costly. Um, yeah. But th- that's interesting. Um, no, I, I, I really wish I could have gone, um, especially because I think I would have enjoyed that type of competition more so than, you know, uh, a hoser match or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess when it comes to, I guess, when you know, stage planning, consistency and execution probably is similar. Um, but were, were there a lot of opportunities to really push? I mean... I know pushing isn't necessarily the best thing to do, but when it comes to getting a competitive edge, if there's some stage where it presents, I guess, skills that you're more comfortable with, um, you know, were yeah, there... Yeah, for sure. Yeah? Yeah, I think there were a couple stages. Um, there were a couple stages that were just all almost, you know, mostly just hard, harder shots, uh-huh. more difficult shots. It's it's not like, you know, it's not like you got to close one eye and freaking have high power level precision to execute the stage but it was definitely harder than we had a couple stages that were harder than the average stage um of nationals and then we had a couple stages which were a little bit easier um this one stage was almost all open targets except for two targets Mm -hmm. um and it was a pretty close stage and that actually screwed a lot of people up like there were a lot there were a good bit of mics on that one stage um, just because people got overconfident with their abilities. Okay, uh-huh. Myself included, I threw... My one mic for the match was on an open target on that stage. On probably the easiest stage of the match. Gotcha. Um, but I think there were definitely stages that would present more to certain strengths and weaknesses. As opposed to a stage that... Um, majority of stages were well blended, but I think there were a couple stages that definitely gave people opportunity to, ga- to gain ground on things that they were particularly good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I guess from a logist, you know, I, shooting three days, it sounds kind of kind of crazy from a logistical point of view, right? Because then I'm guessing... And fl- it's the flying, like, it limits your ability. Yeah, but I mean, not only that, you know, for, for a one-day major match, it's like, you know, you get to the hotel, grab dinner, go to sleep, wake up, get breakfast, and then go shoot the match. Yeah. But this is, you know, I know a lot of people got Airbnbs, um, so, you know, I think you were at a hotel, right? No, I was in Airbnb. Airbnb? Yeah. Um, so, like, I know everybody was, like, cooking. Cause yeah, Because, you, know, you know, it's nine meals, essentially, if you're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and so, I guess, like, from a logistical point of view, having to maintain, you know, l- surviving and living for three days plus shooting, um, you know, was it really any different than what, what we do for other major matches? Or or was that, like, an additional I don't really stressor? think so. I don't really think so, but I think, like, not having the stuff that I usually travel with, like, my cart, um, my car, which just carries a lot of the stuff for me, it just, it was just an added inconvenience. I, uh-huh. Do, and, do, like, I didn't have my range bag with me. I brought my, like, I stuffed all of my shooting stuff in my carry-on bag. Oh. Yeah, so uh-huh. all my, I didn't bring my range bag. I had my carry-on backpack, um, and I would just, I'd bring 400 rounds of ammo every single day. So I would just have four full boxes every single day. I'd have both my guns, my hearing protection, my mag brush, um, a spare, like, a repair or, like, a toolbox or a tool bag um, with me and, like, a few spare parts, and that was it. Yeah, so... so I was, like, it's stripping down to bare minimums just because, of, just because of logistical restrictions. Yeah, would you say that affects your performance? 
Because you know, it, I don't. I don't think so. I think it 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 can if you're bringing the frustration of traveling with you from the days prior. But I, I think I did a pretty good job not doing that. Gotcha. Because like it wasn't. I don't think it was a really big effect. If you come well prepared and you kind of have everything thought out, it's uh-huh. not an issue. Yeah, because, you know, level ones, it's almost like glamping, right? You have so much luxury. It is, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, level ones and, like, close level twos. Yeah, because, you know, you're driving your car. You get to pack a lot of stuff that you want to. Yeah, um, or for you, oh, I forgot my belt. I'm just going to turn around and go home and get my belt and then just drive back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know. Or if you leave a gun, you know, you could drive back. And well, I didn't because I was already three hours away at that point. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, I think it's an interesting way to look at it for, you know, for a match that you fly to. Because, like you said, you don't have a cart. If you're not bringing a range bag, then, you know, you may not necessarily have the luxuries of carrying everything that you usually do. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so I, I can definitely see that stressing some people out. Yeah. And, oh, know, I was def- also definitely a little worried when I shipped my ammo out there. Um, just because... Like, if it doesn't make it yeah, there. If it didn't like... make it, I was checking. Like, so they, they estimated the delivery date to be Thursday. And I was, so I was, like, leading up to Thursday. From, like, two, starting Tuesday, I was checking uh, my UPS tracking site perpetually. Because I was so so worried about my ammo not getting there. And I, I was only flying with 100 rounds. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because, if y'all didn't know, a Nationals worth of 40 is very very slim when you have <laughs> you're allowed to bring 11 pounds of ammunition on it's very slim um when it comes to margins of weight because because i found when i shipped my ammo it was like 25 pounds plus yeah and you're only and there are only two of us flying so yeah so even if Alyssa were to take ammo with her it would have been close um yeah it would have been close yeah and then i guess that that's probably another thing though like shooting Shooting open, the thing that frustrates me is that if my ammo doesn't make it to the range... You're totally screwed. Like, I can't just go out and buy ammo. Like, if I, were, if I was shooting production or even yeah. limited, you know, you can go buy a box of PMC bronze or whatever at a Walmart. Well, so Federal um, was selling SynthTech there, so I wasn't... Oh, yeah? If, if the ammo didn't make it, worst case scenario, I'd spend a couple hundred bucks on SynthTech. Problem solved. So, like, that, that, I feel like that's an incredible luxury to have, you know, ammo for sale at the range if something doesn't go right logistically with your ammo. Right, like maybe the the receipt of the package is signed or whatever, but the ammo gets lost. Right, then you fly, you know, a thousand miles or whatever, and then you have no ammo. It's kind of kind of a downer. Yeah, um, and a lot of stress kind of leading up to it. Yeah, especially so, since like with open guns, they're a lot more finicky with loads and all that stuff. Yeah, it's like you tailor your load to your gun, and then like I know you have two different loads for both your guns. Yeah, and well, that's just the nature of how they are. Yeah, and well, at least you know after shooting area five with the CK, I'm thinking maybe at this point just not care too much about it. But you know even for things like I, I think black dot. I don't know Atlanta Arms's recipe, but I think black dot ammo. Their nine major is a you know 7.2 to 7.3 grains of Winchester Auto Comp, which you know isn't necessarily the best when it comes to tailor made loads for an open gun. Yeah, it's like I'm sure there are loads out there that will work and make power factor in any open gun but whether or not they're going to be optimal with how your gun is set up is dubious yeah and it's not like you know black dot's going to be out there at a level three you know selling ammo on the spot or atlanta arms yeah. is going to be doing that you know it's you don't have that luxury but i guess i, I guess i could just shoot nine minor <laughs> i don't know if be weirder shooting minor um, in open yeah 
but it's it's interesting just to think though that you know there's so many additional logistical steps that you need to take to shoot yeah. a major and you know maybe not even necessarily nationals but a major you have to fly to yeah um that just makes it you know it could really get in your head i, I um, will say though flying with guns was easier than anticipated way easier yeah i mean the flying i i think the ammo is always the most stressful part um because in case they weigh it yeah like especially if you're going to a level three that's like 500 rounds um well for you for nine that's not even like controversial though 900 500 rounds of nine is like that's just at 11 pounds isn't it like, no it's like 300 350 rounds oh is it really nine millimeter yeah and so oh, man and so really you're kind of skirting around if but if there are two of you then like so like let's say if you go to your wife yeah like, so i know she won't go but uh but then it would need to be cased for her luggage it can't be in the oh oh i guess that's it i don't even know if that's true well, I, I guess women bring like 10 pounds of hair dryers and <laughs> clothes steamers and stuff like that so um, and like you know 30 pounds of shoes so there goes yeah. all that but but, but yeah it's like in theory that if you travel with someone yeah, right like uh, who wasn't shooting you could easily bring six to seven hundred rounds you could yeah and then you know you it's s- not like that with 40 with 40 i get 500 rounds and it weighs 22 pounds already yeah or more yeah and but yeah, and so you know, I think the the guy shooting production probably have it the easiest when it comes to ammo logistics. If um, I was shooting production, I would have just I would just go on like wh- whoever go on uh, Midway or whatever, order 124 Grand American Eagle or yeah. PMC or whatever to the freaking just like the yeah, match hotel to the or, match hotel yeah. or to my Airbnb or to the match and like all right done don't need to worry about it or even you know cabela's or whatever is available you know it's, yeah just go over and it's like it's cheap enough to buy 500 rounds it's, yeah it'll be a few bucks more than buying it online but at least it's there and you'll need to worry about it and you know you can just shoot it all off at some local range too yeah i was worried about that flying back because i had 200 rounds i so my my suitcase weighed at 47 pounds um flying in with 100 rounds i flew back with 200 rounds dang um, and that's like 11 pounds, right? <laughs> no, it, it no. wasn't 11 pounds. I think it had an extra 3 or 4 pounds, so I was right over 50, and uh-huh. fortunately American was kind enough to be like, okay, whatever. Nice. Yeah, and um, yeah, going back to flying with guns, I mean, it. as long as you're following you know, state state laws for what type of guns you can have yeah which flying to and, utah nevada is not an issue yeah and you know magazine capacity that i think the the biggest logistic i guess the logistical issue is actually a legal issue is what can you actually fly with or what can you actually have in that state but really flying with guns is pretty simple you keep them unloaded yeah. um you keep it in a pelican or some other hard case you just uh, uh, with non-tsa locks a two two-sided locked hard case that aren't TSA locks, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And I think depending on the airport, too, depending on the people who work there, your experience will vary with guns. I've heard a lot of nightmares about LAS. Um, oh, yeah, I, I with, could... With guns, but I, I got up, I just rolled up there, and I was like, I have to declare a firearm, and they said, okay, and they said, open the case to show me it's unloaded, and we'll just put the slip in that states it's unloaded. Yeah. And I so I opened the case, and I just handled them. I was like, you want me to handle them? And they said, sure. Yeah, and and I've had some good some good uh, experiences. So when I was traveling to Florida State like four years ago, um, when I was shooting production, it was it was very simple. They like Candace said, they asked me to just open the case, um, asked me if it was unloaded, and then they put you know asked me to sign the slip to put it in. But when I was flying out of BWI to go shoot area was it area 
Area three, four. Area four. To not shoot it. Yeah, to, yeah, to go fly to Texas and not shoot it. Um, they had actually asked for my keys because they were going to take it back to TSA, their, their, I guess, their secure room, and they asked for my keys. And I know before there was a TSA law saying that if they wanted to open your case, you had to be present, and I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, something to definitely look into, but I was looking at the rules um, while I was in the airport and you know, arguing with the TSA agent that I need to be present, but they would not let me into the TSA secure area to be there while they opened my case. So what'd you um, do? I had to give them the keys, and so. What did they? Um, they they were took, they fine. They took the keys. Ten minutes later, they came back. They gave me the keys and say, you know, everything's okay. Um, but then one thing though is that um, when I got to Texas and opened my case, uh, my phone was kind of all out of whack. My mags were kind of sprawn out in weird places. Well, that happened to me um, at. Uh, that happened to me both times when I flew. I think that's just from baggage handling. Oh no! Like the phone was actually like in the opposite direction. The gun was in a different. Oh, like, what position. a bunch of idiots! Um, and so, like, they were definitely handling it. Um, and so, you know, you, experience varies, and unfortunately, you know, TSA, um, they have some very simple guidelines in terms of what they're allowed and not allowed to do. And so, a lot of it is really just up for interpretation. Yeah. Based on the airport, the well, airline, like this the agents. Thing. When when I flew out of DCA, I just said, I have, to, "I have to declare a firearm," and they're like, "Okay." And they're like, is it unloaded? I said, yeah. And they said, okay, put this slip on top of it. And they just sent it back to security. They didn't even ask me to open the case or anything. And they like they just sent it back to security. And the TSA was, they put it through the machine and all. And they were just like, yep, it's good. Like yeah. they, didn't, they had no questions about the ammo. They had no questions about anything. I was like, this is great. Yeah, no, uh, that was my experience at DC as well. Like Reagan National, they were just unloaded. Cool. Here's the slip. Sign it. Throw it in. I don't even want to see it. Just <laughs> yeah, go, go in the corner and yeah. just put it in, and then throw it into the security belt. Great. Um, Definitely fly out of DCA again with guns. Yeah, but again, it, flying with guns really isn't too bad. Um, I also know some people online, this kind of the CCW community, they just you know put in a small locked case and throw it into their checked-in baggage. Yeah, I found, speaking of um, which, this little Pelican that came in these uh, Hunter's HT Golds that I won fits my Glock 43 perfectly inside. Yeah, and then... You so know, I think I'll definitely be flying. Next time <laughs> I fly again, I'll definitely have uh, my 43 in there. Yeah, and so it, it's actually a lot easier than you would think. Um, but no, people blow people. People make it sound difficult because because of locks and everything. But it's really not hard. Just get like good Abus locks and make sure they're not TSA locks. Or even like what is it, Master Lock or whatever. Mas yeah, just go to Home Depot and get Master um, Locks, and those will be fine too. I, because I, in reality, if someone wants to break in, they'll just get bolt cutters, and they will break in. They will, yeah. And you know, there's there's so many videos on how to break these locks. You know, it's. It's pretty easy, I would say, but I think the hardest part about getting prepped for flying with a gun was actually finding a lock that fits. Um, because if you go to like Home Depot, you can't really pull out the locks and see if they fit the the holes in your in your Pelican. Um, yeah, I think most of these guys. Um, I think most of these guys are a quarter inch. Yeah, uh, quarter inch board. But it was definitely like, oh, I hope these fit, and <laughs> then I take it back home. My locks barely uh, fit. Uh, my case like I have to the case has to be aligned perfectly for me to get them to fit and that's, uh -huh. that's fine with me yeah yeah um, but it's it, it's a lot easier than people give it credit for um but yeah like, like I think the harder the hardest part for me was making was trying to get my luggage to make weight <laughs> I brought two pairs of trail runners those that alone was three pounds wait so did you did you just do one check-in bag you didn't do a carry-on oh you did your backpack with the carry-on right yeah so um, 
Yeah, because American lets you have uh, one one personal item, which is like a backpack. Yeah, and then one one uh, carry on, which is like a small suitcase. Wait, how did you? How was your check in bag fifty pounds? My gun case alone with two guns, a hundred rounds of ammo, and seven oh. magazines. So, so you put your gun case in your suitcase. Yeah, that you, alone oh, okay, was like uh-huh. thirty pounds plus. Yeah, gotcha. And I had all my clothes to bring. I had two pairs of trail runners, which I put in my carry on. Yeah, and so, I checked. They ended up checking the carry on anyway. That makes sense. So I usually check in my Pelican as, as its own bag. I don't want to do that ammo. just because of freaking opsec. Like <laughs> OPSEC. I, I, don't, I don't want. Like like the whole point was so I don't want everyone to, at the airport to know I'm toting around guns. Yeah, I I mean I guess, but um I've I've had to pick up my Pelican sometimes from baggage. Like they had that, to, they, the actual desk. I had to do that too. It was actually pretty um, great because I didn't have to wait like a peasant for the carousel. Yeah, and so I mean, when you do stuff like that and you're rolling around, it's like uh, most likely so. Well, but most people are oblivious to that stuff, anyways. Um, and like I've got, but go- like a pelican is pretty obvious. Well, like a lot of photographers and videographers use pelicans too. And like I've got GoPro stickers slapped on mine with like Canon stickers. Plus, okay. like Dawson Precision. I'm sure if and, you've seen me in person, you'd be like, "This guy does not have a camera." Ah, in there. You, you never know. <laughs> you never know. But honestly, I think most people when they see pelicans, they think audio equipment or video equipment before they think of guns. To be honest, I think guns um, so freaking quick. It's because we're we're in the scene, right? I mean, if I guess if yeah. you're just a pet, like most people who don't even know much about guns, don't think guns when they see pelicans. I mean, for most people, you can open carry and they won't know you're carrying a gun. Um, okay, that's true. People do tend to lack situational awareness of any capacity. Yeah, it's not even situational awareness. It's just like they if you're if you're not a part of the culture, you wouldn't think, "Oh, there's a gun in there." You know? But dude, there are 100 million gun owners in this like like one third of the population has guns. So like it's not unreasonable to think. Oh, I I I'm not disagreeing, but for for most people traveling in an airport, which is, you know, especially a place like Las Vegas, you can have a lot of tourists. A lot of foreigners, like I don't, I don't think they're gonna be like, oh well, there's a there's a gun in there in that pelican. Um, yeah, I guess Vegas on its own. Yeah, but, but like depending on the flight time too, it's like you can draw more attention if you have less people there, just because yeah. that's just how people are. Yeah, and I think you know, speaking of flying with guns as well, um, I think Alaskan Airline is actually one of the best ones to be flying with if you're if the destination. Um, supports their flights because I think their weight limit for ammo is way higher than any other airline. Is it? Uh, mainly because there's a lot of uh, multi-day hunts or whatever that happen in. I'm gonna Google this. In Alaska or you know some of the I guess northwestern states because I think you know what is it caribou I don't know um, <laughs> moose yeah moose some of the some of the bigger game. Um, I definitely think I I do remember reading a lot that um, Alaskan Airlines has a lot more lenient policy. On Alaskan says eleven pounds. You liar. Do they really? The Google says eleven pounds. They might have changed it then. But it's um, really hit or miss with whether or not people weigh it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But but it's <laughs> it'll suck though when they do weigh it and they make you throw rounds in the garbage can to make weight. Yeah. Majority of the uh, time, I've heard. They don't weigh your ammo, and they didn't weigh my ammo both ways. Yeah, which was, so. which is good. And they didn't weigh my ammo in uh, when I was going to Texas. They just molested my gun a lot, um, and I had like it's I found, a really nice gun. I don't blame them. And <laughs> I I found a mag like actually on top of my gun. Maybe that's like, the bad it was, one. It was just like uh, it, it was it was just it left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, knowing some TSA agents were just messing around with my gun. 
Um, so well, TSA tends to do that. They do, especially um, when they freaking grab your crotch like they did to me. Oh, nice on, on, at DCA. Nice. Yeah. Do you like it? I didn't I'm take sure my sweatshirt off, and I guess they asked me <laughs> to take my sweatshirt off. I didn't hear them because I don't pay attention to anyone or oh, anything so, at so all. They just decide to search you. So like, so I walk through the freaking see me naked scanner, and then all of a sudden they're just freaking groping me right at the line. I'm like, oh, thanks, guy. Oh, dang. So you don't have TSA pre-check? No, I no? I, I didn't. It's too much work from work. Uh, it's free, but like. It doesn't matter to me, and my girlfriend doesn't have it, so traveling yeah. with her, it makes zero difference or zero that, benefit to me. That's when you make her get it, because it's so nice not having to take off, like, your belt and your shoes. You get to leave your laptop in the case if you're carrying one. Uh, it's whatever. At the time I was flying, it makes it made zero difference. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've enjoyed it quite a bit since I've had it for the past couple of years. Um, TSA PreCheck would be worth it if I didn't have to do anything at all. Yeah, the, the process does kind of suck, because um, we did it with Global Entry, and then we have to go do interviews in D.C., um, yeah, I was. I, was, See, I, was I don't need. Tedious, I don't need but... to do any of those things uh, for for flying. I just fill out the paperwork through my work, and then all of a sudden, I'm good to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, Anything else about the match, though? For um, oh, PM got a nice on the last day. The PM really got a hit with a nice sandstorm. Oh, that's like thirty sucks. to fifty mile per hour winds. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, but I think because I mean we we've talked a lot about you know sh- performing at major matches consistency. And I think the thing that really sets Nats apart is really the the format, right? The sheer number of stages, the format, and everything else the, from the logistics. And the volume issues. of people and everything, yeah. yeah. And okay. by the way, props to Shannon Smith. He was MD for both for both uh, optics and uh, and limited nationals, and he did a, and he shot both. That's nuts. So like, phenomenal job to him, and then you know all the staff and everyone. They all did a bang up job. Um, like it was it's honestly just amazing how much work went into this match and Mike Foley was saying at the awards banquet that it was like you know this was like three weeks of effort leading up to it that got everything on the ground everything squared away logistically and all that stuff um so like that's that's seriously amazing it's a feat yeah and you know we we you know we Keanu knows how hard it is to put on a level one um, every week, yeah, I can I um, cannot imagine having to go through the effort of putting on a, a twenty-one stage level three and shoot for six like, days, <laughs> receiving ammo and everything too. It's just it's wild. Yeah, um, so like it's it's just nuts. And uh, speaking of congrats, congrats to Luke Cow for winning B class, and congrats to Luigi Lee for winning A class. <laughs> Freaking um, sandbaggers! It looks like they're getting bumped to M after this one, um, but. <laughs> And they're overdue for both. For, yeah, for, for both of them. Um, and again, congrats to Keanu. He won uh, third place master in limited. Um, yep, yeah, whatever at nationals, third place. I mean, that's pretty good for a master class. Um, I think the overall placement was better. I'm I'm more happy. I was 25th in limited, and I'm I'm more happy with that than third place in master. Yeah, that, that's 25th, and there were like what 400, 500 people shooting. I think they were like two hundred something in limited or three hundred something. Yeah, because you guys shot with carry optics, right? It was carry optics and limited, and so. Um, yeah, yeah, carry optics and limited, and I think, yeah, limited. Both of them were in the high two hundreds, I think. So I'm I'm looking right now. No, low two hundreds. Limited was at two hundred twenty-five, excluding the DQs. Gotcha. Uh huh. Carry optics was one hundred eighty-five. 
Huck, your optics suck. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, that that's quite, especially some of the stages. It looked like, you know, optics would have a pretty big advantage on some of those stages. So Yeah. Um, I did want to talk about the point spread real quick, though, because Max Michelle freaking made that match impossible. Um, if, if you already consider the match a classifier, there are only three people total who shot that match at GM percentage because of Max Michelle. <laughs> like, it's, nuts. it's yeah. absolutely insane to think about. Like, Limited had a really, really good spread because I think Limited's been around a lot longer, so you have a lot more people who are accustomed to the, to the division and a lot of people, and a lot of people who are just, you know, well-aged in shooting that division. But, it's it's crazy to think about. So Max Michelle won the match at 100%. Casey shot 96%. And for those of you who don't keep track of national match stats, that is insane. A 3.5% spread is crazy from first to second place. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, JJ beat Steger by 2.8%. And that's still a lot. That is a lot, yeah. Yeah, um, that's still a lot. Because after... So, J, so Steger was at 97.2 and limited... Vogel was at 97.17, and Coley was at 96.78. Mige- Blake Miguez was at 96.5. So pretty much... So you- less than a 1% spread from 4th to 5th. Yeah, so... Or, or, I'm sorry, from 2nd to 5th. So it's almost like JJ's an outlier. <laughs> from like a, It's almost like JJ's an outlier, but yeah. Max stood out even more in carry optics. Yeah, which is, which is crazy. Which is crazy um, because like behind him are KC and Nils, who yeah. are insane shooters. And then B-Class Luke <laughs> at 89%. <laughs> You dirty sandbagger. <laughs> and then Austin Aris, who was like 17 years old and is freaking fifth overall. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, Wild. Yeah, so so for the last thing then, you know, if if you're going to shoot Nats next year again, what would you? What, what's your biggest takeaway of what you would like to do in order to better prepare yourself for Nats from either a logistical perspective, training perspective? Like, if you could just talk about one thing, Going into Nats next year, what would it be? Um, I think it would be training. So I, you you know very well I did all I practiced minimally this year. We, we I, just I, shot too many majors, we, honestly. I, I shot too many majors. Um, and I started you know m- me running me running the indoor match took a lot of time out of my hands that I could out of practice. Um. And you've been really, you know, handling most of the CSRG stuff. Yeah, you know? I've been doing a lot of CSRG uh-huh. stuff. I've been putting a lot of work helping other matches, um, design stages and stuff like that. So it's just been... Practice has not been something that's been big on my schedule recently. And I think, given how I placed, I think if I did put effort in, like conscious, good effort in for Nationals... Um, leading up for the entire season, and even with all the majors I shot, I think all else aside, if I just took a little bit more time to myself and just shot, you know, shot my gun in practice, I dry fire like pretty regularly still. But that's not, I think at this point it's not the same because I'm not getting a lot of the live fire. Um, it's like all the haptic feedback. Yeah, I, I don't have the feedback from uh-huh. the gun, right? And that that does change that that does change it a little bit. And which is why I shot so conservatively in nationals. So I think all else given, if I had to change one thing, I would just practice regularly. Like if I could get a couple hundred rounds down range a week, I think I'd be in a really, really good place. Yeah. For next mm-hmm. year. Um. But yeah. But at that point, it's just time and money, and 
you know, I don't I don't make the most money, and I I have time, but you know, trying to allocate both of them combined is just difficult. Yeah, and so you know, I I guess from the the money perspective, right? So I mean, if if for example, because I know you've been dabbling with your production gun for a little bit, um, I mean, if you were to live fire with your production gun, do you think there'd be enough crossover for it to help from a cost savings perspective, or do you think it's just you you need to be shooting your your major ammo out of your Titan. I do kind of want to try this. Like, I, I I think that's worth maybe experimenting with. So after um after this weekend, Virginia State Championship, I will not be shooting my limited gun, or I'll be shooting it minimally through the off season. I'll be shooting my Beretta through the off season up until uh, beginning of January, where I'll start practicing again for Florida State with my limited gun. So I want to see how it's going to affect it. Shoot it. So to me, shooting is shooting. Sure, the limited gun feels different. Um, it recoils more, all that stuff. Um, the trigger is a little bit different. In the end, that shouldn't fundamentally matter because shooting a gun is shooting a gun. Look at JJ, right? I mean, he's yeah. I mean, JJ shot JJ won nationals again this year with a borrowed gun. Yeah. So and he won last year with a borrowed gun. So if that's any testament as to you know how skill trumps equipment, that's it. And Freaking Nils won with a $500 handgun. Yeah. Or, he didn't win, but he placed very well with a $500 Canik. So, you know, I think I'm going to try it. And I didn't, for those of you who don't know, I didn't shoot my limited gun for two weeks leading up to Nationals. I shot my Beretta oh, in, the, in the, I shot my Beretta at the matches, at like the local matches in between for a couple weeks. And I don't think it hurt my performance. So like, I think just getting a little bit of trigger time behind the gun, like just getting good shooting in was more beneficial than, you know, just playing around with a lim- with the gun I usually shoot, but not getting anything mean- anything meaningful done with it. Yeah, because I mean, it's probably what, 16 cents per round for you right now to reload? 40? It's about 14. It's cheaper for me to shoot 40 than it is to shoot factory 9, but I think at the cost, you and I are reloading 9 minor. It's like 8 eight cents. It's like eight, uh-huh. 8 or 9 cents, maybe. So I guess we'll see after this weekend, see how I feel before Florida State. Uh-huh. And and I guess we'll... Uh, we can probably do an episode on that come January to see how I feel about my performance, and or after Florida State at least, so I can... I, I feel like that's a good litmus test for my performance at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Because I mean, because I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, practice with nine, shoot forty, but you know, if it really works or not, you know, I guess we'll be able to see for ourselves. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or it's like people who say, um, you know, practice with with nine, shoot thirty, super comp in matches. It's the same principle. Yeah. And right. So I I am curious to see, and it is, and I'm com- shooting at a completely different platform with a completely different belt setup, completely different rig, everything. Um, so. I, I am curious to see how this is going to pan out through the off season. I feel like it's going to help my reload still because I, you know, just not having a flared magwell, it makes the reloads that much more difficult. Yeah, you kind of build that pimp, like precision. Yeah, uh, yeah, to, to make it work. And I think maybe with a shot calling and shooting, um, shooting better points, and consistency through through that, I think I might see improvements in that. But switching gun to gun, it does take a minute. You know, like I'll need to dry fire for like 10, 10, 20 minutes to get back in the groove of it, especially with the magazine difference in positions, um, and all that stuff. But I think other than that, I'm I'm very excited to see how this is gonna, or at least how shooting a completely different gun, without shooting my limited gun at all, 
is going to affect my uh, shooting for next season. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, you know, again, I'm really jealous that you were able to shoot Nats. Next um, year, baby, next year. Yeah, but I, at the same time, I'm also not too bummed because I would have shot Nats with my CK. And Dude, I saw the hotel room you were in. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be I wouldn't be jealous either. <laughs> but um, yeah, so next year, you know, we'll we'll you know readjust and you know we'll I guess you know for 2020 next year for podcasts as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of things we've learned this year, and then we'll probably you know touch upon those subjects as we go next year. So I think it's going to be, you know, a good time for content as well. Yeah. And so, um, well, we're definitely going to rethink how many majors we shot this year. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and you, again, like, like Kano's talking about training, you know, shooting major matches, it, you know, as, as much as I hate to admit it, it takes time. It takes effort. And if we're spending effort shooting other major matches and not actually practicing, then you know if nationals is actually the goal then it detracts from what we're you know striving for right yeah and like i'm not gonna lie it was i was starting to feel a little burnt out on shooting limited and shooting all those majors by the end um after area five like i was i was ready just to be done when i got to nationals i'm glad i had as much fun as i did because otherwise i would have just been like screw this i'm just gonna shoot my freaking beretta instead yeah um just because i, I, I would have just wanted a change of pace but now that you know sh- shooting nationals shooting as as well as i did you know i I feel better about just kind of getting back into it but i do want to give myself some more time this time yeah because you know for the last i've been this is my third my third full season is coming to an end and from from year one day one i have shot nothing but limited by majority and yeah. I've taken no off season, anything like that. So it's just been con- it's been a constant grind for me. So I'm kind of looking forward to just kind of tapering off a little bit for a couple months, and then just hopping back in. So hopefully I'll be more hungry by the time January comes around. Yeah, and then you know, like you said, even if it if what we end up doing is shooting you know 200 rounds a week, for example, and being able to do that instead of shooting a major match and taking a full weekend, then it it just might be worth it when it comes down to. Or spending a grand total of sixteen hundred dollars in a match for this yeah. year, <laughs> you know. Hopefully, we'll see the gains in October next year. So, I, I think I think both you and I, if we do stick to that, we'll definitely see some net benefits. Yeah, and again, whether it's shooting carry optics or production limited open, I think trigger time is just going to help in the end. So, yeah, I agree. Um, it'll it'll be it'll be a good time next year. I'm really looking forward to twenty twenty. Yeah. So. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. This has been uh, the Nationals recap for Keanu. Um, and and the CSRG podcast in general. Yeah. <laughs> Chris's, Chris's cumulative hangover recovery podcast. And, uh, you know, luckily with two weeks of vacation, too, of not working, not doing any CSRG stuff, I'm ready to back, get back to the grind. Um, and so... Um, yeah, two majors left. We got to finish it out strong, dude. Yeah, and honestly, I'm not taking these too, too seriously either because, you know, I'm just driving up the day of for the one coming up this weekend. Um, but again, we just need to get through the season and then kind of reposition and we'll hit it hard next year. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yep. Um, again, everybody, thanks for tuning in. I'm Chris. I'm Keanu. Shoot. Well, we'll see you on the range.